You are listening to the official podcast for ICGC Calvary Temple, Teen Chapel. Be blessed as you listen to life-changing messages by seasoned men and women of God. I'm come to pray to my God. What about you? Begin to pray. Begin to ask God for forgiveness of sin. Father, I, I ask you for forgiveness of sin. Father, every sin I've ever committed, if I knew and if I didn't know, Father, please forgive me, O Lord. Father, forgive me for every sin I've ever committed, O Lord. Father, it's by your grace, it's by your grace. Father, I ask you for forgiveness of sin. Father, every sin I've ever committed, whether I knew, whether I don't know, Father, I, th- I ask you for forgiveness. Just in case. Welcome. As for today, dear, the mood is somewhere, but we'll be fine. We'll go ahead with it. Um, so we're starting with our very first, um, our very first lesson on um, demonology. Even though it was titled demonology in the beginning, we didn't talk about demons. We talked about who we are as human beings, started from the very beginning of us, before we even went into anything. I'm sure most of us don't remember, but that's just a brief background. So, Uncle Wilhelm, um, for some time now, we've been doing this whole Bible reading challenge. Uncle Ivan said we are supposed to be finishing this week. How many of us are finishing reading our Bible this week? Please show by hands. How many of us are finishing reading our Bible this week? If you are, be confident and raise your hand. How many of us are finishing reading our Bible this week? Nobody. Or somebody. 
Oh, raise your hand there. Oh. About five of us or six. Amen. How, of us are, how many of us are halfway? Somewhere in maybe First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Titus and Philemon. How many of us haven't started? I'll close my eyes. You can answer. The facilitator's eyes are closed. You can answer. How many of us haven't started? My eyes are closed. Uncle Wilhelm's eyes. How many of us haven't started? Oh, so you've all started. But we haven't passed Matthew. Have we? How many of us started and we haven't passed Matthew? You are in the house of God. How many of us have started? We haven't passed Matthew. How many of us are at the beginning of Mark? Beginning. First few chapters. Thank you for being honest. Ending of Mark. You pull out all liars in this. All of you are just liars. I can confidently say. Where are you? No, you said you've almost Hello. finished. You, where have you reached? No. I can't hear. Titus, you have you reached? Pan? John, where have you reached? You can't answer. What did she say? John, hey. So what? So what? So what? So what? Stop. <laughs> where have you reached? Matthew. So when I asked how many people were in Matthew, you didn't raise your hand. Gabby, what have you raised? Philemon. Are you sure? Should I ask mommy? She knows. One last person. Joyce. You weren't expecting. You never expected it. What have you reached? Don't be shy. Have you finished the first four Gospels? So that will put you people on the spot. You haven't finished the first four Gospels. But you are almost at John. Amen. Please. The main discussion for today is the importance of the Word of God in this whole demonology thing that we are talking about. Because what is, you want, you, some of us are even afraid, first of all, number one, we are afraid of the demons. Some of us actually are not afraid, and we want to fight, or we want to be able to stand our ground as children of God. But on what basis are you standing your grounds? Are you standing your grounds on your own strength as, I am Benny Sohenenyaku, you cannot do anything to me. Who are you? On what basis are you standing your ground? We are not just asking you to read the Bible for reading's sake. There is a reason. So we are here to discuss the importance of that in this whole conversation and even in our lives as Christians. Amen. 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 So I mentioned Uncle Wilhelm's name and I left him. Um, Uncle Wilhelm, in this whole um, discussion of all of this, not even demonology, but as Christians, can you please explain to us or help us to understand the importance of God's word 
Why? Because we drum it home. We've been doing Bible challenge. We've been trying so much to help all of us to read the Bible. Uncle Biji says so much, but it seems like somehow some of us still feel like we can't do it or it's not. I don't know. I don't know why we don't do it. So can you please help us to understand why it's important for us to read the Bible? Thank you very much, Auntie Bernice. And uh, uh, very good morning to all of us. And maybe sometimes when you're mentioning the names, I, you can mention Seram, Selikem. Seram, Selikem. Um, Mamiesi, Mamiesi, Emanuela, Emanuela, Gwendolyn. Somebody should write the names. Gwendolyn. It's only ladies' uh, names you are mentioning. And then Emanuela, uh, Seram, Gwendolyn, Mamiesi. The boys. I remember Christopher. Okay. Christopher. Yes, uh, Richardson. Hammer. Palmer. Palmer. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Okay. We have quite a number. I'll, so I'll get I'll get you more. Yes, please. Very soon. Thank you very much. But um, thank you very much for the question. The importance of the word of God and the reason why we should be reading the word or we should be doing a Bible reading challenge. Yesterday, I think yesterday, yes, Uncle Moses was sharing something with us. And he said, Jesus Christ, when he went into the wilderness after he was, he was baptized and he went into the wilderness and the devil came to tempt him. Whatever the devil said, Jesus Christ had a word to counteract it. And then when the devil even moved a step further to quote scriptures, the Bible says that Jesus had yet another word to counteract it. And then he made a certain analogy. He said, imagine that you are there and then the devil comes to tempt you. What are you going to do? Are you going to call, say the dev, tell the devil, wait, let me call Auntie Bernice, or let me call Uncle Michael, or let me call Auntie Glory. You are an auntie, yeah? Let me call them so that they would help me some way. And then he says that what happens if you call them and they are asleep? Probably Uncle Michael has been praying now from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m., and then 2.15, he's decided to rest. And then 2.20 a.m., that's when the devil, in fact, the devil knew you would call Uncle Michael. So he waited for Uncle Michael to sleep before coming to tempt you. So he will not probably receive your call. Then what are you going to do? Or if the devil comes, then you say, hey, wait, don't tempt me yet. Let me go and read Matthew or Mark. When I have finished reading some scriptures, then you come. Then we can battle it out. No. But we realize that day in, day out, we are going through challenges. We are experiencing things that we need the word of God to support us. And if you don't have the word of God in you, you will certainly be found wanting. Imagine you are going to write an exam and you have not read the, um, you have not studied. You are definitely going to fail. In fact, in the university, they have something they call open book exam. Those ones are the most dangerous. Because when the book is there and they've asked the question, by the time you refer to come and write your answer, the time is up. That is why you learn to build yourself up. So what I would say is that this Bible reading challenge or the essence of the word of God is to build us up, to prepare us. When you read, I've forgotten, um, it was Paul who said it. Oh, it wasn't Paul. I think it was Paul, but I've forgotten which particular. But he says that to equip people 
for the works that to for the works that God wanted to do. We are being equipped. We are being prepared for greater works. But if you are not reading the word of God, you can't do the works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. So, Auntie Bernice, in just summary, the word of God is essential for building us up and essential, essential for preparing us to do the very works God wants us to do. Other than that, one day we will stand before God and we would have nothing to give an account of. We would have no good works to present to him. Why? Because we do not even know what his word says for us to do or what is required of us. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Michael, if you can share a bit. Okay, so for the word of God, I really don't know where to start, but there are a lot of benefits. The first thing I'll say is that there are a lot of things in the kingdom of God which are gifts. Okay. But there are also a lot of things in the kingdom of God which are rewards. That's the first thing I'll see. And the second thing is that uh, I feel like some people feel that they can overcome temptation or they can be strong if they, if they don't read the Bible. I mean, we are seeing it. People are like, I'm facing temptation. No Bible. I'm overcoming. I'm still going. What I'll tell you is that a time will come you cannot overcome. <laughs> Let me give you an example. When I was in school, okay, uh, we were fasting. I and my friend were fasting, serious fasting. We're going two days, three days, and we're praying. We're serious. And then uh, he had a dream, okay? He had a dream. And in the dream, the both of us were praying and we're holding hands. And a demon appeared. And when we saw the demon, we said, Jesus. And the demon too said, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and when, when he came to tell me, I was like, hey, this is serious. <laughs> this is serious. In that, in that situation, you can shout Jesus all you want, but if, if you don't have the foundation for the revelation behind the name Jesus, you will speak the name and nothing will work. Hope you get it. So the, the Bible is the foundation. Okay, it's, it's, it's the standard for discernment when it comes to the kingdom of God. Hope you understand. So there are a lot of benefits. There was another time in school where we did the same fasting, but we were adding the word of God. We were reading the Bible. We went on a word retreat. Okay, there were a series of holidays in school, and so there was no class, and we decided to go on a word retreat, and we were seriously digging into the Bible. I think I've shared this story with a few people, and we, we were so tired that we wanted to go and do something bad. <laughs> we wanted to go and sin. Like, we purposed in our hearts. We planned, the two of us, we are going to sin. We are going to do this thing bad. We tried, so we couldn't sin. It was difficult to sin. And we sat back, and we looked at, hey, Sin, we want to sin, but our bodies are not allowing us to sin. That's when I understood the scripture. That word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's very powerful. So many people are dealing with a lot of stuff, but the, the, the main issue is that they are ignoring certain things. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By living according to your word. These are basic things in scripture that you can learn from. A lot of us are struggling with a lot of things and we're asking how, why. The, the answer is simple. Go to the Bible. Somebody might say that I'm reading the Bible. I don't understand. I've met a lot of people. They start reading. They don't understand, so they stop. How? <laughs> when I hear things like that, it's funny because how, how will you understand if you don't read? Now, somebody asked me a question. Okay, and asked me that if um, there's a race, there are athletes running for a race, okay? Uh, let's say there are four. There are four athletes running for a race. And he asked me which one will win. Or which athlete will win? And I said that the fastest one. 
of course, the fastest one will win. And he said, oh, yeah, you're yeah, right. But most importantly, it is the one that runs the race. Should I repeat that for you? <laughs> he asked me, if at least four athletes go and run a race, which one will win? And I said the fastest one. And he said that, yes, it's true. But more importantly, it is the one that runs the race that will win. If you are the fastest person in your school, but you don't go and run, you won't win, no matter how fast you are. So if you are complaining, I'm not understanding the Bible. How will you understand if you don't start reading? It took me more than two months of reading the Bible, just reading before I started understanding certain things. So if you start two weeks then, I'm not understanding. I'm closing my eyes. I'm falling asleep. How will you understand if you don't continue reading? It's consistency. So the word of God is a very vital part of our lives as Christians. We cannot ignore the word of God. It is important to continually go back to the word of God because the more you read it, the more you grow and your mind begins to change. The Bible says something in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation starts in the mind. If you have built up patterns in your mind, you are doing the same thing over and over again. Until your mind changes, your actions will change. Until your mind changes, your actions will change. So you, you now need to renew your mind. When your mind changes, that's when you can start following what your mind is now processing. So in your mind, you fill your mind with, uh, I don't want to use a certain example, but <laughs> let me say, you fill your mind with this kind of sexual songs. And you're complaining that you feel like watching porn. You know, when you're sitting there, then some images come into your head. Then you go and cry. Why is this happening to me? You have created an atmosphere in your mind. Eh? So your mind, unconsciously, you don't know, but you have been feeding off those songs. So it creates a certain atmosphere of lust in your mind, in your subconscious. So your body begins to now desire what your mind is processing. If you continually feed on the word of God, your mind begins to reflect that word that you have been reading, and your actions will follow. It's as simple as that. So I think that's, yeah. Thank you so much, Uncle Michael. And before I ask Glory how your question, I've marked it nicely for you because it's you, how the word of God has impacted your life. I just want to tell everybody here that don't look at us sitting here as if we know it all because we don't. We're here to help you to understand. When I came here, I think Michael was in JHS3. Glory, I think she hadn't come here yet. Uncle Wilhelm, dear, I hadn't seen him before. But <laughs> Michael and Glory have grown. They've passed through this place. Glory is still in secondary school. Michael is in university. Don't see them as, hey, these people, they, they are crazy, me, they are not. What they are saying, I can't do it. No, because they all started through here. They all passed through here. All the things that we say, everything, Michael, he didn't hear anything that I said because when I came, he, had, he was already on his way to secondary school. But they've learned. So this is just to show you that it is possible to receive from here and grow. It is possible to receive God's word from here and grow and get to a stage where you quote scripture. It is not strange. There are facilitators who have left here and they mentioned their names. I'm sure some of you have never seen them, their faces before. They all passed through here and they grew and they came back and they served and they've gone out and they are doing good things for God. It is not impossible. So don't 
don't have it in your mind that these people, they, they are crazy. They, they don't do anything with their time. All they do is pray. Like Uncle Wilhelm said, Michael prays from 6 to 2 a.m. For you know, Michael sleeps like 7 or 8 or something. But we have it in our minds that these people are, no, don't. Otherwise, you won't receive from what they are saying. They were like you. They are still like you. Michael is not yet 20. Or are you? I'm the oldest on this stage. So please... I am the oldest on this stage, and I'm only 30, so can you imagine? We are all young people here. Uncle Wilhelm, all? Yeah. Exactly. So, please, let us, be <laughs> let us be receptive. Let us not think it's too far from us to do. Amen. Auntie Glory, today you're Auntie Glory. Please, can you share with us how reading the Bible has impacted your life as a Christian? Okay, so um, reading the Bible has impacted my life in so many ways because I have learned to I've learned to build my faith through reading the Bible and I've learned, God has revealed himself to me in so many ways through reading the Bible and then um, I have also received a lot of um, understanding from reading the Bible, because there's this verse that has actually kept me going in life. It's um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and every other thing shall be added unto you. And I, I've taken that scripture so personal, right? And it has kept me going in life, because I've learned to seek the things of God, and actually every other thing is being added to me. Like in school like this, at first, like, I always used to put my books first, like I have to read, I have to learn, I have to do this and that, and I forget God. But then it got to a time where I was like, I wanted to know God for myself. Like it's not enough hearing people um, talk about God, God has done this, God has done this. Like I actually wanted to know God for myself. And I decided to read my Bible, to pray, to meditate on the word, and it has actually helped me in a lot of ways, right? I've been, I've been able to share the word to my friends, like, I'm no more shy. I could just walk up to this person and just like start to talk about God and then they go like, hey. Some laugh, but I don't give up. I continue to preach the word of God and yeah, just do what God wants me to do. And it has, it has made me successful. My academics, like I do well in school and all of that, so. Thank you, Glory. I, I, I like the part where she said she can walk up to people and talk to them. Glory is a very shy. I was shocked when I asked Glory to join the panel and she said yes, because Glory is quite shy. But we have seen that she has grown out of that shyness. And now she can sit in front of you. I'm sure at first, like two years ago, she would have been shaking on this stage. But am I lying? Two or three? It's true. It's true. But now she can sit and speak. And it's all through the word. Confidence. You get it here. Amen. No, my Bible is here. That's why I said here. One last person that I would like to tell us about how God has impacted her life is Melkida. Melkida. Ivan. Melkida. Ivan. Melkida. Ivan. Hurry up and go give the microphone to Melkida. By the way, was it yesterday that was your birthday? Happy belated birthday. Belated happy birthday. Yes. Belated happy birthday. So if you can tell us how 
the word, how reading your Bible has impacted your life as a teen? Okay, first of all, uh, the thing was that most of the time I used to try to understand the Bible with my own strength. Um, like when I'm reading, I just read like it's a, it, it, like it becomes really hard for me to continue reading because I try to understand it and then I don't understand. But then the thing is that when you're reading your Bible, you need to ask God for the strength to help you to read your Bible. And it works because once you believe it, then you begin to understand like automatically. Um, what I'd like to say is that um, I, when I was in SHS, it was easier for me to read the Bible because I felt that I was away from home and Home is like where they give me, like, there's work to do. And there's everybody around, family and everything. So it becomes kind of difficult to read your Bible around when everybody is there. So in SHS was where my um, Bible reading and then um, relationship with God became really, really close. And because of Teen Chapel as well, because as I was in school, um, I used to interact with some some of the facilitators in Teen Chapel. Um, in school, I, in fact, let me start with this: that I'm a very shy person. Actually, I'm, I'm I'm an introvert. So, when I began reading my Bible um, in the beginning of SHS, it, it became easier for me to talk to people about Christ, to join, um, I was very shy, so I didn't actually want to associate myself with a lot of things, a lot of people, but as I began to read my Bible, I just began to grow in confidence, I, I, I don't know how, but I was able to speak to my friends about Christ, bring out, just um, out of the blues, just bring out um, a topic, a topic. And just really helped me. I was surprised when I even had the confidence to um, run for a prefect. Um, it gave me so many opportunities um, in school. I remember um, I used to be um, called to come and preach during assembly, and it was it was it was just breathtaking. <laughs> I don't know how to say, it, but. The only way I can say the Bible has really impacted my life is through the confidence I have now. It's still growing though. I'm still shy, but the Bible, reading the Bible and then becoming close to Christ has given me confidence and enlightenment. Yeah. Thank you, Melkita. Please, is there anyone now? I'll throw it to the audience. Those that <laughs> have been reading their Bible. <laughs> Is there, is there anything you'd like to share? I know it's likely that no, my, no one might raise their hand, but just in case somebody wants to share how, like those that have been, there's someone there. Great. There's someone there. You started the Bible challenge and you've realized that there's another person here too. Hey. So, oh. 
please. How many people are raising their hands? So there's one here, and there's one at that side. So two more. Okay. Okay, so I'm not someone who likes... Okay, when I was in GHS, I wasn't the churchy type of person. I'll come to church all right, but then I'm not one to like understand what I'm reading or anything. Then when I went to SHS, I was still like that. But then somebody came to speak about God to me and then I changed. It just happened. I don't know how to say it, but it just happened. And now I go to the chapel, I pray every day. It's as if if I don't go and pray, I can't live, if that makes sense. And reading my Bible, I never opened my Bible, literally. like. You hardly see me opening my Bible, but then one sister came to us and was like, we should learn to read our Bible and grow closer to God. And if we read our Bible without praying, we'll not understand what we are reading. So I tried it one time. I pray before I read my Bible. And sometimes if I don't have a devotion or anything, I'll just pray and I'll be like, God, guide me to where I should be. And I'll just open the Bible. And what I read is what will happen to me. Like, you get it. Like, what I read... Kind of get it. <laughs> what I read is like God is speaking to me that this is what's going to happen today. And sometimes I'll be there and I'll just be crying. I don't understand why I'm crying. I'll, I'll call my mommy. I'm like, mommy, why am I crying? She'll be like, just pray. And when you pray, I mean, you just get this feeling of satisfaction. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing. One last person. Oh, she's not talking again. Ah, she has a mic. Okay, I'll say it has helped me so much in my academics. Because first, reading the Bible is so difficult for me, and how to speak English too was difficult for me. So I told myself that I can't do this alone. So I decided to tell God that, God, help me do this, and me too, I'll do this for you. So. I started reading the Bible. One day I went to school. I was in the class. And something just came to me that just get up and tell them the word of God. And I'm kind of somebody, I'm, I'm trying to talk to people. I don't know what came to me. So I just went in front of them. I asked permission from the teacher. The teacher gave me the permission. So when I went in front there, I started talking to them about the word of God, repent and all this. Can you believe that right now in school they have made me the chaplain? And it's not because of by my mind. Sometimes I'll be sitting there and my friend will ask me, hey, how, how is it that you can speak English like this? And I said that if you read the Bible, you will get it. Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, that it is the Lord who gives wisdom. So... Reading the Bible has made me a child of God and it has given me the strength and the ability to go out there and talk to people. And right now, I'm no more shy to talk to people. And I'm so happy that God has given me this strength. So this is what I can say. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please let's clap for all those that shared. Amen. Amen. For some of us, 
we, we speak English from home straight to school and back home, so we may not understand the import of what she has just said, shared. But starting to learn at a certain age is not easy. And we thank God for this testimony. Thank you so much for sharing. Nana Kwesi has a testimony. Nana Kwesi has stopped. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. Amen. So please, we've had others share why it is important. Please, can the basket go around again for the questions? Because I'm sure by now some people have written something down that they want to ask. So can the basket go around? The questions are ready. Okay. So can I have them? Some have shared how, why it is important to read the Bible. For me, I am beginning to appreciate the part of the Bible that says that the word is the sword. How many of us, I like watching medieval movies where there's always a lot of fighting and olden days war movie kind of things. That's what I like. And I watched this one, King Arthur. And in King Arthur, a king's brother killed him. But the king had a sword that fell into the water after his brother killed him. Nobody could bring the sword up. But the king had a son. So the king's son came and picked up the sword. The sword was in Morocco, But when he picked it up, it came out because the sword could only be picked up by someone from the king's bloodline. So his son could pick it up. And this guy's uncle wanted to kill him because he wanted all the power. But what this morning, when I was thinking on the word of God, this thing came to me because one thing about that sword was that the minute the guy held the sword, he changed to it. It's, it's quite different from what you guys like watching. He was a totally different person. Totally. And he would kill everybody around him that tried to attack him. And he didn't know how he did it. He just did because there was some sort of power in the sword. My point is, there's a reason why God calls, or the Bible calls the word of God the sword. What are swords used for? Can anybody tell me? Let's say knife. You people, knife is closer to you. If somebody is coming to attack you and you have a knife, what would you do? You attack them, you stab them, right? I have a knife in my car. I don't, I've forgotten why I put it there, but. I'm sure when people see it, they think I'm protecting myself. I was doing something in my car and I forgot and I left it there. And I just haven't had the energy to pick it up, but it's in the car. But I'm sure people think it's for protection. So, oh, Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. The sword is meant to defend and attack. And the word of God is our sword. How many of us know that? Raise your hand if you know that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So when you are being, in quotes, attacked, where do you run to? Your sword. What do you use it for? You attack back. Some of us think of it so literally, but all the battles and things we fight is here in your mind. You want to take something that you know doesn't belong to you. You remember you are not supposed to steal. It is not by chance that you remember. It is the word of God because you have it in your heart. But if you don't have it in your heart, you won't remember. And you'll do, like Michael said, 
Uncle Wilhelm as well. How would you fight if you don't have the word? It is important, even if it's something small that you know, build on it, keep reading, imbibe it. That is your sword. That is what you use to fight away anything and defend yourself. Amen. Please, as we are talking, if I see you sleeping, I'll walk up to you and ask you a question. Thankfully, where I'm sitting, I can see everybody, including the instrumentalists. So if you sleep, I will see you. Amen. <sighs> now let's go to the question on the screen. How did Satan fall into wickedness if he was created good? We haven't gotten there, but you started. And now, we started from somewhere. You are taking us to the end of the conversation. Okay. How did Satan fall, wickedness, fall into wickedness if he was created good? The beauty about being a moderator is I get to choose who answers the question. You are saying, hey, you want me to answer? I will choose who will answer. And it doesn't have to be anybody on the stage. Uncle Ivan. See, the two of them looked at me. <laughs> they are afraid. Um, Uncle Wilhelm, would you like to help us answer this question? Uh, I thought since I started, you we are going to start, go from, to the start end. from the end. Glory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ajay, glory, okay. glory, glory is afraid. <laughs> okay, I would, I would see if I can, I can say something. But before I. I do that. Um, for those of us who are reading the scriptures that's, and then you don't understand, like Uncle Michael said, you continue reading. And then one thing that struck me in the word of God that I always apply concerning understanding the scriptures, the Bible says that when Jesus had, rose, had risen up from the dead and he met the disciples, he said he gave them the ability, or sorry, he opened their minds for them to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds for them to understand the scriptures. And that is what I stand on to pray when I'm going to read the Bible, that because he did it for his disciples, he should also open my mind so that I too will understand the scriptures. And then he does that. It may not be instant. There are times it is when you are meditating on it that an understanding will come. Or when you share it with somebody, or somebody else will preach about it, and then you understand the scriptures. Amen. Amen. Okay, so how did Satan fall into wickedness if he was created good? How did he fall into wickedness? The way I can see from your eyes, you are ready for an answer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how he fell into wickedness. But when you read the Bible... The Bible says that there were certain things that Satan began to say. And as he said them, he put himself in a certain position where he had to be cast out. He said that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to ascend, he said, ascend the mount of Amustah. He wanted to take the place of God. And then I've heard some people talk about that it was pride pride came into him as he yesterday i i listened to somebody and i think perry stone he, he said i don't know if it is true but he said that he believes that the devil when he was created as lucifer i mean uncle biju has taught us that he was created he was an archangel before he fell 
and he became Satan as we know now. So when he was created, he was the probably the first angel who was created. And he was beautiful. He was created to lead the worship. But I believe that as he was doing these things, as he was leading the worship, and all of these things were being ascribed to God, then he began to desire that these things will rather come into him. And as he began to desire these things, iniquity took hold of him. Okay, and then he began to go against the will of God. So yes, he was created perfect, but as he began to desire to take the place of God, that is when the wickedness and evil came into him. And when he was cast out from the presence of God, he could no longer be good. So he had to be now the, let me say, the opposite of what he was. And that is how come all the evil are now in him. I don't know. That is the little explanation that I have. Um, there's somebody's hand up. I know well, Uncle Michael too has <laughs> deep insight. So. Whilst we, before we um, go to um, Uncle Bishop, um, Uncle Bijou taught us this, I think, about two weeks ago. And as I was looking for the verse, it just dawned on me that if I didn't know that it was here, I would have been searching and searching. So, and thankfully, life, how do I say it? Internet has made things easy for you. You can just type. As long as you have an idea of what you're looking for, just type it in Google and it will help you. So from Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11, it talks about how the devil was created so beautifully, had so many precious stones. And on the day that he was created, they were prepared. He was an anointed cherub. God made him perfect. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. So yes, God made him perfect until unrighteousness was found in him. That is what the Bible says. Unrighteousness was found in him. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence, and in your midst, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So this is where the pride Uncle Wilhelm was just talking about comes in. And it's in the Bible. I'm not seeing it. When I saw it, my heart caught. But the Holy Spirit told me, relax. It's in the Bible. See why you should know your Bible. Amen. So iniquity was found in him. He was filled with violence in his trade. So God cast him down. He was a guardian cherub. There was, he was, his heart was proud because of how beautiful he was. Because God had made him special. Had all the beautiful stones on him. So he was obviously different from every other angel. And because of that pride set in. Some of us are very beautiful over here. And we feel ourselves like something. Well, I so, <laughs> I said some of us are beautiful. So we feel ourselves like something. Ah, okay. Yes. If you, I wasn't talking about me. No, I was talking about some of you. <laughs> so, yes. This is, if you're looking for the verses, Ezekiel chapter 28, all the way down. 
please, Uncle Bishop wanted to add okay. something. Um, okay, so this is what I want to add. Um, when God created um, the heavens and the earth and the angels, the fact that um, Satan got corrupted and he deceived one third of the angels in heaven meant that there was an element of choice that he gave to his uh, creation. So after he got corrupted, he was also able to deceive a third of the angels in heaven. The same freedom can be seen in the Garden of Eden where God told Adam and Eve not to touch uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, and that is the reason why judgment is the reserve of God because he is the creator of all. And so from this uh, truth that is an element of freedom that God gave to each and every one of his seven angels and Satan abused it. And so that's how come um, he, he, he corrupted and fell from um, good to evil. Thank you, Uncle Bishop. This is our last question, and then we'll go on to our next topic for discussion. How many questions are there, please? Plenty. Three. Oh, please, somebody has raised his hand. Please come around and collect questions again. Eh? If we can't finish it today, we'll continue next week, please. You want to answer a question? You have a question? Okay, please, I'm coming. Ah, you just changed the question. Sorry. There was a question here before. Moses. Go to the Please, I'm sorry. Uh huh. That's the second question. After this, we'll go back to our discussion and then we'll continue. Otherwise, we'll end up spending all our time here. <laughs> Uncle Wilhelm has handed the <laughs> microphone over to Uncle Michael. So, Uncle Michael, will you try to take this one? Will you like, not try, like, you will take it, whether you like it or not. Please take the question. Okay, so how did Adam succumb to the devil's temptation whilst he was sinless? Okay, um, it depends on your definition of sin. That's the first thing I'll say. It depends on your definition of sin. We see sin as something bad, something like when you go and steal, you slap someone, you go and rape someone or something. That's sin. But, but um, when you read the Bible, the Bible says that for all have sinned, right? And then the Bible continues to qualify what that statement means in the book of Romans, chapter 3. It says that for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So that, look at the first part, for all have sinned. Then he begins to qualify what that sin is and they have fallen short of the glory of God. So for me, that is my definition of sin, to fall short. Or to miss the mark. I hope you understand. So it depends on your definition of sin. How did Adam succumb to the devil's temptation? While Uncle Bishop was speaking, he said something that God created an element of choice in every creation he has. Let me try and just um, be fast with this. Okay, so God gave man free will. That is how come Adam could choose to sin. Because he has free will. He has the power of choice. Somebody would then ask, why did God give man the power of choice if he knew Adam would succumb to sin or Adam would uh, succumb to the devil's temptation? Then he shouldn't have given Adam choice. So to answer this possible follow-up question, I'll make this statement that God is a God of love. Okay, God is love. Right? And when God created man, God created man in his image and likeness. So 
man was supposed to reflect God, like the mirror image of God on the earth. Oh, you are following. Good. So, whatever or the qualities that God possesses, man must, in a way, also possess those qualities. Because man must reflect God. It's like God is looking into a mirror. He must see himself. That's what man was supposed to be. So if God is a God of love, then he must, and he's creating man according to his image, then man must also be a creature of love. Right? Now, what I have learned from Bible studies is that one quality of love is the power of choice. Love is not always about feelings and stuff like that. One quality of love is the power of choice. Let me give an example. If, um, glory, let's say, um, in Teen Chapel, there are a lot of boys in Teen Chapel, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. then, <laughs> and then one boy... <laughs> hey. hey, something is coming. What's Aaron, Aaron from you where? You are tricking yourselves. <laughs> okay. And then one guy comes to glory, okay. Now there are a lot of girls in Teen Chapel too, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful one. Yeah, beautiful girls. Okay, so a boy comes to Glory in the midst of all these girls and tells Glory, Glory, I love you. Bob. Now, Glory might look at that statement and might not necessarily feel anything. Okay. Are you following me? Let me, let me repeat the example. Like a lot of girls in Teen Chapel, right? And a lot of boys. So one boy comes to Glory. Now, Glory is not the only girl in Teen Chapel. Imagine for a second that in Teen Chapel, Glory is the only girl. And the rest are boys. We are all boys here. And it's only Glory. And you come and tell Glory that you love her. You've not said anything special. Because she's the only girl in Teen Chapel. Who will you love again? <laughs> you get it? So, it's when there are other girls, plenty, plenty girls, nice like Glory, that you can look at Glory and say that, no, I want this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that is love because you're able to make a choice in the midst of other options. So one quality of love is the power of choice. So if man must reflect God in love, man must have the ability to choose. God does not want programmed robots to be moving around. No, he wants people to love him the way he loves us. So he puts free will in man so that man can choose him. You get it. So Adam had the power of choice. It's not as if he had sin, so the thing was there, and he eventually fell inside. Sin was there, of course, but not in him. He had a power of choice, so he chose to succumb. Okay, hope you get it. So it's, it's not as if some desire was moved. He chose the power of choice. If you read the Bible, the book of James, say that for every man is tempted from his own desires. So it's, it's, it's from you. Hope you get it. I think you've even answered the next question because there was a question. What was the next question? Yes. Where did the ultimate desire for sin come from? Why the word ultimate? <laughs> is the desire not a desire? Ultimate. I'm not sure why the ultimate is there, but oh, who is behind the thing and changing the questions like that? If Satan's God will not forgive him, I've answered the question. Please go back. <laughs> Stop. So, <laughs> Michael has given, has answered, if there's any addition to the question, why did Adam decide to succumb 
if he was sinless. Does anybody have any? Auntie Gina, can somebody give my boss a microphone? Auntie Gina is my boss. Yes. When you read the scriptures, one thing that I have come to understand is there are a lot of things in it. Before, sometimes we wonder a lot of questions, but as you read, you get it. When it comes to, as Michael said, choices, uh, one time I was reading, I said, ah, why is this that there is good and there is evil? But when you read the word, he said he created everything. And then at one point, I got to understand that he gave us the will to choose between what is good and what is bad. So that Satan will not say that he's forcing us to choose him. So when it comes to sin and to do good, you decide. When Michael was answering, I was just reading James 1.5. Because we normally talk about, oh, how do people sin? What is your heart desire? What are you desiring to do? Those are the things that lead you to take the actions that you do. When you are desiring to read the word, when you don't read it, you feel empty. But when you don't desire to read the word, you're okay. When you desire to learn to pass your BEC, and you are going to write the exams because you know you have learned. When you are going to the exams hall, you go with confidence. But when you know you have not learned, it is when you, that is why you go and cheat in the exams hall. So the thing of sin, be aware and be conscious. I always tell my children, when you go out there, the world is not merciful. Whatever you have learned, they will test and try you. Mas Moro said something. He said, every vision or dream that you have will be tested to see whether you still believes in it before you become great. So sin will always be there with us. Goodness will always be there with us. Ask yourself, what are you desiring as you step out each and every day into the world to go out there? What is your heart desire? Because the Bible says in James 1, 5 that that is what leads us to sin. So if you are desiring Christ, definitely you will be conscious of the things of God. And when you are fallen, you will know. If you have not learned for your exams, you will know when the exams paper comes. But if you have learned, you will also know how to answer. So we should, when we are talking about sin, let us always think of what we desire each and every day of our life. Thank you. Thank you, Auntie Gina. And we'll round off this question um, with a scripture um, from James chapter 1, from verse 12, no, let's say from verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I repeat. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, 
gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Some of us have done science. When a man and a woman meet, a child is conceived. So it says, then desire, when it has conceived. So when desire conceives, what you push out is sin. So it is your desires that lead to whatever it is. It is your own desires. And when sin is fully grown, so after you push out the sin and it grows, it's a baby. When it grows, it brings forth death. You see, the Bible is a very interesting, the English is just so nice for me. It's a very interesting book. If you read it, you'll be seeing some of these things. Maybe some of you don't like reading your Bibles because of the versions you are reading. Please, King James Version is not for you. I beg you, if it's King James you are reading, you may find it difficult. Get your NIV, get your new King James, and read and enjoy it. Amen. I started by saying that we don't know it all. Me, as I'm sitting here, it's as the Holy Spirit drops, and he drops what I have heard or what I have seen before. Some of us have, our memory is such that if I have spotted it once or twice, I will remember it when I need to remember it. And so once I've seen it somewhere, I know that I can remember this. So that is me. But some of you need to read and read and read and read before it sticks. However it is, apply yourself to the word that way and learn and grow. Amen. This question is leading us to our next discussion, which is on sin and the nature of man. Some of us, how many of us are born again? Be confident. We do altar call every week. And you people don't come. So it means all of you are born again. As, no, don't put your hands down. Raise your hand. If you never feel like doing anything bad, put your hand down. Never in your life ever feel like doing anything bad. Put your, <laughs> put your hand down. So does it mean that you are an evil person? You are not an evil person, right? You are born of God. You are a child of God. But somehow, you still want to do those other things that you used to do when you were... Olivia, I'm hitting a chord, eh? You still want to do those other things that you weren't doing, we say, you were doing before you became born again. Why? That's my next question. Why? There's a sin nature, and then there's the redeemed man. You're born again, you're redeemed of God. Doesn't mean that the sin nature is still there. Glory, as they went one, two, you are the third person. Auntie Glory, what do you think? We are discussing, you see, it's a discussion. There's no heat or pressure. We're just discussing. And you raised your hand for both. You are born again, but sometimes you still feel like doing those naughty, naughty things. He takes that boy and things, all those kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. That f- you're in Form 3, eh? so the university, you're in Form 2. So that Form 3 boy that has been texting him. Is he in this church? Confess. Report him now so that we'll... They mentioned Aaron's name, but Aaron is now going to secondary school, so he cannot be here. 
Love does not know age, eh? <laughs> okay, so Glory, if you can help us, based on your understanding, what do you think? Is it that we have two natures battling, or we are still sinful, or what do you tell us? Um, I think that um, it's temptation, right? Because if you've received Christ and all of that, and then he is in your heart. So then every time you feel like doing something that you used to do before he became Christian or before he became born again, I feel like it's the devil, right? And then you could use the scriptures to, um, to overcome such temptations. Because if you used to steal before you became born again, and then you still feel like, feel like sinning or stealing, sorry. It doesn't mean that you are not born again because Christ is in you, right? But then you just have to overcome such temptations with the word of God. Yeah, that's what I think. Thank you, Glory. Please, does anyone have, I don't want to. Uncle Nicholas, I haven't heard your voice today. As for this one, I know I've caught you off guard. <laughs> Uncle Nicholas. Delfina will kill me today. With the sin nature, I've asked, we have, as I sit here, I know I'm born again, but when my mother annoys me, I still say some things in my head because she's annoying me. Doesn't mean that I'm not born again. Doesn't mean that I don't have the nature of God in me. I stand and jump here and I say I'm a child of God. But when my father annoys me, I want to kick him. Doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm not born again. Michael. Okay, so this is a very interesting question. Okay, right, so um, many people, okay, all of us, we experience this thing. We are born again, but you still see that some few desires are running here while in your life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I understand this a lot because even after I got born again, there were still some things that were serious. Yeah. I mean, if, let me just give you a small secret, but. <laughs> we are closing. You don't give us any secrets. <laughs> uh, if, if you are counting 10 bad things in this world, okay, 10 bad things in this world, for every 10 bad things you count, the person sitting here right now has done seven. Eish. Out of those 10, every 10 bad things you count, I've done up to seven of each one. So, sometimes I'm in school and I see people doing certain things and I'm laughing in my head. Either you are now doing this thing. <laughs> 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 oh, <but> I... <laughs> He's an ogboro in the tomb. Just say. Oh, started that, a long time ago. <laughs> oh, in that was Yeah, yeah, started a, long, uh, yeah. yeah a, a while ago. So, the, the thing is, <laughs> we experience this kind of things, but this is what I... I have studied and I've seen. I have seen that there are, I don't know how to call them, but I think the best word is there are three dimensions of salvation. I don't know that is the correct term. I don't know, but my own little understanding, this is how I call them. And there was one, the salvation of your spirit. These are just my terms. It's not anything, please, I'm using my own. <laughs> I'm going to quote me some way. But the first one is what I call the salvation of the spirit. This is where the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in trespasses and he has made us alive. 
So this is what we normally call being born again. Our spirits have been revived. Uncle Bishop has taught us about the types of death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. So you are brought back to life. You are spiritually dead. You are separated from God. If you check the dictionary, the definition of death is um, the cessation of all activities that support life. Interestingly enough, the dictionary does not say it is the end of life. It says it's the end of activities that support life. So death is a separation. Okay. So when you are separated from your physical body, it's physical death. When you are separated from God, your source, is spiritual death. When you are separated from God eternally, forever, you will never see God again. That's eternal death. Okay, so the spiritual death is what I'm on right now. When we are born again, our spirits are brought back to life. We are revived. So that's what I call the salvation of the spirit. Now, the second one is what I call the salvation of the soul or your mind. This is where the Bible tells us that we should desire the engrafted word of God, which is able to save our souls. So in that scripture, we are seeing the Bible is, is telling us something interesting. Because the Bible is now telling us that um, the word of God is able to save your soul. Your soul is your mind. Okay, just my turn. So if, if this is what the Bible is saying, it means there is a certain level of salvation which can only be gotten when you read your word. Hope you understand. So that's what I call the salvation of the soul. The third part is a very long part. I'll just mention it, but it's what I call the salvation of our bodies. Okay, so this is what I, I believe. I believe that we are born again, our spirits are saved. But the reason why God does not take us from the earth the moment we give our life to Christ, Anchor, if you are here, we do altar call, you say the sinner's prayer, then you vanish. God has taken you. But you are still here for a reason. Why? Because that's not the end of your salvation. Salvation is a journey, okay? That's why we are telling you guys, come to church. Read your Bible. Pray. Why are we worrying you? It's not like we just want to hassle you or something because it is necessary for your salvation. Because after just saying the words, after just giving your life to Christ, you can receive the Holy Ghost baptism, but that, it doesn't end there. Okay, there is more. So your spirit has been revived. You've been brought back to life. But now your mind, this is where temptation to comes in, your mind. So if your mind is not regenerated or you are not being transformed by the word of God in your mind, you will continue sinning like you've not been born again. And so people come for altar call and then two weeks later they're doing the same thing. People go for camp, youth camp. Hey, all the power. Two weeks, you see them doing the same thing. Yeah. Because you have, your, your spirit has been revived, but your mind needs need work. That's where the word of God comes in. That's where activities like prayer come in. You are building yourself. Jude chapter 1 verse 20. Building up yourself for your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. It's a good process. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that we should grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are supposed to grow. So I believe salvation is, is growing. It's a journey. So it doesn't just end that when you just give your life to Christ or you say the sinner's prayer or something like that. So I think it's a journey. So, yeah. Thank you very much, Michael. Please, can we have the Cornelius? Can we have the baskets passed around for the Cornelius offering whilst we have our discussion? Uncle Wilhelm, if you can... We are, we are rounding up. We have a few more minutes left. We'll take one last question after this discussion, and then if our parents have closed, we'll go. Uncle Wilhelm, if you can please share with, sorry, with the question. The same that, question. Yes, please. Um, yes, it's. I think they have they have said it all. Um, it is very true that we are still wrestling. There are things that. Uh, we are still battling with 
And that the word of God tells us that we are supposed, those sins that easily beset us, we are supposed to cast them off. It means that there are things that we are still battling it with that we must overcome. Paul said that the thing he wants to do, he does not do. The thing he does not want to do, that is what he rather finds himself doing. And then he said, who would rescue me from this wretched body? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, like Uncle Mike, uh, Michael said, yes, we become born again. Now, our souls and our flesh must also now conform to the nature of Christ. And that is, it is not um, a one-off thing. It, is, it comes daily. That is when, some time ago, when I became born again, I still find myself that ah, when some of the ladies pass in front of me, my eyes still follow them. <laughs> so I realize it's true. Oh, that was before I met Auntie Elsie. Yes. Uh-huh. So I remember it got to a time when I was those days when I sit in a trotro and I'm passing and I see a certain lady. Now use this my left hand to hold my head so that I will not look. <laughs> so some of these things we still struggle with them. We we are still battling with them. But thank God that Jesus Christ has given us that grace to be able to overcome. And thank God for his word, so that by his word, we are renewed and we are able to overcome. And, and so, yes, these things are there, but we press on day in day. I, I personally believe that it is when we are transformed, that is when either we are caught up in the clouds with uh, Christ, or we have gone to heaven. Let me put it simply that way and we have a new body, then we will not struggle with these things any longer. But once we are here on this earth, the devil will continually try to poke us in certain ways. Um, Auntie Glory said that if you have been stealing before you became born again, it is most likely the devil will come and poke you with stealing again. When you, when you look at it, interests me, the previous question, when the devil came to Eve, he did not say, Eve, here is a fruit. Eat. He asked Eve, did God really say that you should not eat of any fruit in the garden? Probably, Eve had probably thought about it. Why is God saying we should not eat these things? When he came to tempt Jesus, he asked him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He did not tell him, Jesus, take bread and eat. He, put it, he puts it in certain ways to try to catch us. And that is what we also must continually fight to overcome. Amen. 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 Thank amen. you so much. Um, please, does anyone have any, any other thing to add or subtract? Auntie Melkida. Ivan Melkida. Oh. Why is that when they mention Melkida, they mention, mention Ivan. Ivan? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Olivia, you have been mentioning it. <laughs> um, okay, so there's just this little, little thing I'd like to add. Um, is that um, in um, First Corinthians 
10 verse 13. Um, it says that there's no temptation that is new to man. I'm just paraphrasing. And that um, God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. With Even as the temptation comes, God will give you, um, he'll provide you with a way of escape. Um, so then again, as Michael said, it's up to you. You have a choice. So, um, you see, even as you are born again, um, with your desires, with the desires you have, the devil will trigger, trigger you um, to fall into whatever kind of um, sin that you previously um, used to engage in. But um, as you get closer to God, or as you read your Bible, um, God reminds you, God's spirit just comes, and then he reminds you of his word, and that is the way of escape. So it's, it all depends on you to sync your mind with whatever God is telling you. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank you, Melkida. Thank you so much. The question on the board, no? The question on the board, no? <laughs> giving it to Michael again. <laughs> if God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, can he get tired? <laughs> Uncle Solo, would you like to help us with this one? <laughs> you were looking at me, that's why. <laughs> Don't give it to Solo. Hey, I'm just joking. Oh, Solo, okay. Yes, Uncle Solo will help us. Okay. Um, so, the question is, if God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, can he get tired? I think that the one who asked the question has a fair idea whether God gets tired or not. Um, but we can tell that from, from Scripture, the way God is described, um, he is not one that gets tired, necessarily, in the way we get tired as human beings. However, God, in his infinite wisdom, um, creates models or examples for us to follow. So, when God created the world, the Bible uses the word rested. Um, and then he, the Bible makes us understand that he hallows that day, the seventh day, and instructs his chosen people, the Israelites, to observe that day as a day of rest and as a day that they can honor him, God, and spend time with him, God, and have fellowship with him, God. And so they call that seventh day of rest the Sabbath. And it was a very serious thing that the Jews or the Israelites used to observe. Now, the wisdom in that is that you cannot, as a human being, be working 24-7 without resting. You will break down. Okay. Um, your productivity will, will fall. Diminishing returns will set in. Meaning that the more effort you put in, the less you make. Alright. And so it's essential for us as human beings to rest. And in resting, it is essential for us to um, think on who God is, what he has given us, and Sorry, I'm a bit distracted in. 
who God is, what he has done for us, and give him the necessary uh, honor that is due his holy name. I hope you understand that. So God resting on the seventh day is a model for us, his creation, to follow. All right. Um, it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that God gets tired in, this, in the sense that we understand it as human beings. But God, if you read throughout the Bible, everything, the way um, history plays out and the way God deals with creation, he gives a model for almost everything that he does. So in the creation of the tabernacle, God gives a model that is in heaven. In the creation, in between um, the redemption of the church, as a bride to him, God. God gives a model in marriage. All right. So God gives a model for every single thing that he wants us to follow. So there's an example for you to follow. If you don't know how to do it, this is the way I show you to do it. And so God, so God says that, I want you to rest on the Sabbath, and I want you to spend that time with me. Spend that uh, moment with me. Spend time in my presence. Let's, let's have a chat. Okay. And then he doesn't give you any, he doesn't give you any reason um, the way we say, even if God has rested, then you, what excuse do you have? I hope you understand. So yes, um, that is, that is um, what I can say about God resting on the seventh day. All right? It doesn't necessarily mean that God gets tired Thank physically. You. Thank you, Uncle Solo. Please, Uncle Bishop has something to add on. Please, all those sleeping, I can see you. I can see you. I've okay. just decided not to mind you, Joe. Okay, so to add to what Uncle Solo said, um, God gives models for everything. And the most important thing is that the Bible was not written for God. It was written for us. That is a simple uh, addition I want to add to all that Uncle Solo said. The Bible was not written for God. It was written for us to follow and the word uh, rested in the Bible has nothing to do with tiredness. Like, you can be doing something, but you feel like, oh, let me rest a while. It has nothing to do with it. There is tiredness that causes you to rest. And there is rest that you don't want to rest because you want to rest. So, the rested in the Bible has nothing to do with God being tired. God doesn't get tired. He is God. So, this is all I just want to say. Thank you very much. And we're about rounding up. This is our last question. But in we have, I hear we have over 50 questions. So hopefully we'll continue. Not hopefully we'll continue. We'll continue next week. I'm not sure we can do all the 50 next week because we still have some things to discuss. And we'll try to tackle as many as we can. However, the discussion is based on um, our teachings for the past four or five weeks. I know we have a lot of questions. When we say get close to facilitators, you not get close to them. It is now that you want to ask all these kinds of questions. Please ask. But if you have questions based on what we have learned and what we have studied these past few weeks, please add them on. I have seen just a few of those. Or maybe that's just what the media team has decided to give me. Please bring those up. Even after service, if you have more, send them to the back, and then they'll type them, and then we'll deal with them. We'll, they'll deal, why did you change the question? They'll deal with them after, sorry, we'll deal with them next week. 
how do I unlock my spiritual gift? Where did the other question? You see, that's what I was asking. Don't be changing the questions like that. How do I unlock my spiritual gift? Also, is casting out demons a spiritual gift for some people? How do I unlock my spiritual gift? Are you people laughing? I will, me, I'll tackle the second one and give the first one to somebody to tackle. Because I didn't know that spiritual gifts were locked. The word is a gift. It is given to you. If I give you a parcel, I will not put a key on it, will I? Unless it's a car, then I give you a car key. But the unlock, no, is as if it is padlocked and put somewhere in the deep blue ocean for you to go inside and find and bring it out and open it and it will enter you like superpowers. No. I think I understand what you're trying to say. I just like to play on words. But like I said, I'll deal with the second aspect. When Jesus Christ was leaving, he gave all of us, every one of us, he gave us a charge. And it is in that charge that we'll answer this question from. Casting out demons is not a spiritual gift. Casting out demons is something all of us, including Nana Kwesi, when he's of age, can do. Including Wilma, when she's of age, can do. Even if she's four and she has the consciousness and the knowledge of it, she can cast out a devil. It is not a spiritual gift. God has given us power. And that power is for all sorts of things, including casting out demons. So it is not a spiritual gift. It is a charge to all Christians. It's not even for only pastors. It is a charge for all Christians. I remember one time at camp, I mean, I'm not, the way you see me, I'm quite calm and laid back and relaxed and all of that. But when you get to camp, everything is all over the place. People are running from one end of the hall to the other. You have to chase them, bring them. People are under the anointing. Everything is all over the place. And there was one time I saw this lady on the ground. And you could obviously tell she was fighting, like somebody was, basically she was oppressed, right? Like I said, I'm a very calm person. But when I saw it, I don't know what happened to me. I just went over to her and I said, get out. No, I'll not go. Get out. No, I'll not go. Get out, get out, get out, get out. And it got out. Me. I'm a calm person. I said it three times. There are those of us that when you see, you can tell that ah, they'll fight and do all, they'll be sweating. I've never prayed and sweated my whole life. I don't sweat. As I'm sitting here, I'm hot, but I'm not sweating. I've never prayed and sweated my whole life. I haven't done any of those things. But in that moment, I was aware of the fact that in this atmosphere, you can, it will go. And the demon left. And she relaxed. I'm not a pastor. 
the spiritual gifts, even me, I'm still trying to figure mine out. I mean, but I have, I know I have the authority to cast out demons because it said so in the Bible and it didn't attach it to pastor. It didn't call it a spiritual gift. It didn't say anything. It just said, you will cast out devils in my name. You will lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. And he was talking to his disciples, telling his disciples to go out and preach the word. And his disciples were lay people. Some of them hadn't gone to school. They were fishermen. They were, they were in quotes, nobodies. Casting out devils, it is not a spiritual gift. It is your mandate as a Christian to do it. And they will listen to you. You are just afraid because you think you don't have the power, number one. Number two, you don't read your Bible, so you don't even know that that is what you're supposed to do. It's not a spiritual gift, please. I'll let, if there's anybody that wants to add something on, I'll let that, but, and in the meantime, I'll look for that scripture. It's in Matthew 28, the last part of it. And we'll read it so that we'll all know that it is not a spiritual gift. You can do it. Irregardless of your height, your weight, your stature, where you are. I said, even Wilma, if she's four, five years, and she knows, she can command a demon to leave and it will leave because she knows the authority she has in Christ. So let's not be afraid of it. You can lay your hands on the sick and they will be healed. But it is a matter of you knowing the authority you have in Christ. We'll be talking about that next week. And that is even based on the word of God. Like I said, it is not because of how beautiful you are. I can't go and beat my chest and say, I'm Benesohininyaku, get out right now. Who am I? My name Christ, is not popular in this country. Nobody knows me. But you stand on the name of Jesus and you cast it out and it will go. Amen. So casting out demons is not a spiritual gift for some people. It is a mandate for all Christians. Everyone sitting here, it is your mandate. When you see it, don't run away. Face them. Unlocking your spiritual gift. <laughs> Please, who would like to help me with that one? Auntie Gina, I've heard your voice only once today. As for this one, they have caught you off guard. <laughs> Auntie Gina. There are so many ways for you to know what God, what gift you are, you have. Sometimes it's because our expectations are so big that you want to be like somebody else instead of examining yourself and asking yourself what is it that i can do effortlessly some of us can talk the whole day it is a gift of teaching some of us can also be quiet and meditate have you asked yourself what gift is that some of us can also sing from morning to evening. When people are struggling with the words of the music, they give it to you once and you pick it. 
So what is it that you can do without struggling? So stop looking at what other people are doing and you admire and you want to be like them. And then ask yourself, what can I do without pressure? What do I love to do that nobody gives me an instruction to do it? That is how you, you unlock the gift that God has given you because he said he has given it to everyone. So you can talk. Then the gift of spoken word is there. You can write. The gift of writing scripts or sketches. So don't look like you want to preach before you think that you're a man of God. No. As long as you do something that you enjoy, that is your gift. Now look in the word of or in the body of Christ and then see how that gift will impart. I hope I have explained myself a little bit. Even, even in ministry in singing, we have different levels in it. There are some people when they stand on the pulpit to worship, they will not say a word, but the conviction that people will have. So if you're a worshiper and you want to behave like someone who leads people to pray, I think most of us have the gift, but we admire what others have and we are looking at those ones and we are not looking within ourselves. So as I've said, what you can do effortlessly, that is your gifts. And just build on it and you will know that you also have a position in the body of Christ. Thank you. Yeah, oh, sorry. So the scripture is uh, Mark, Mark 16, 17 to 18. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Amen. Auntie Jennifer has something to add, please. Um, so I just wanted to add briefly um, about discovering your spiritual gifts. I, I want us to look at the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. And it says that so it says with yourselves, since you are so eager and ambitious to possess spiritual endowments and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, concentrate on striving to excel and to abound in ways that will build up the church. So for me, my understanding is that if you really want to discover your gifts, um, you should concentrate and then focus on the things that would help to build up the church, advance the church. So like joining a department. Once you join a department, then in that area you can learn more about what it is that you can actually do in the house of God and what God has actually deposited within you. Without joining a department, you might not 
be able to really discover what your giftings are. Nana Kwesi also wants to add, but we have close. Nana Kwesi, you came late. So we're done for today. I hope we've all learned something from today's discussion. As we go home, think on the things that we have taught. Things on the, think on the things that we have discussed. The Bible reading challenge is still on. It's never too late to start. Wherever it is that you want to start from, just start and you will be able to finish rather than deciding that they've almost finished so me to our thank you for listening god bless you